0: We come to hear from God's word, to be shaped by God's word, and we're going through the, the book of Genesis, and we've come to Genesis chapter 5. And if you're reading ahead, uh, you might realize that in Genesis 5 it's a genealogy. And so I, I think at least one of the points from the sermon bears reiterating before we even read it as a congregation. That we hold fast, to that that all God's word is breathed out by him and is therefore profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. Why? That we might be equipped. Equipped for every good work. God has works for us to do that we've been created for in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world. And we need this genealogy to do that. Whether you understand how it's going to do that or not. And so, one of the things that genealogy does in the ancient world, just one of the things, is that in the ancient world, it is the, the thumbprint of truthfulness. It is the thumbprint of, uh, uh, that differentiates, this is no myth. This is true. This happened. This is history. So with every genealogy that you read, and I would encourage you to read them as you go through the Bible, read the genealogies. You, we're going to get a lot of different things from each genealogy is a bit different but let this word from our father wash over you as we read the text this is true this is true this is true it's just one point and you can put that you could write that down next to every genealogy in the bible but this is history not myth let's attend to the reading of god's word i'm going to read from chapter 5 through the genealogy into 6, 8. Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in, his, in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. And had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years. And he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Beloved, the grass Withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dan. It'd be good if we all learned to do that. I love that. This is God's word. We've talked about how every genealogy proclaims the truthfulness of God's word, the reliability of it. There are stories of Wycliffe missionaries who they were, you know, what do you translate first as a Wycliffe missionary? Start with Jesus, of course. They translate Jesus, but, you know, they don't do the genealogies of, you know, Matthew and Luke right away. You know, translation takes time. You want to get them the, you know, the, the most important stuff, and they're working amongst this tribe for years and translating all these different parts of the Bible. And finally, they, what they're left with is like 30 chapters of genealogy. And they hadn't seen many converts, if any. I don't know the story in detail. But they he finally goes, he's going to translate the genealogy and he reads it to the people and their eyes go as big as saucers. And they realize, you didn't tell us that this was true like that. And they come to Christ. We'd be surprised at what, what can seem like mundane parts of the Bible can do to our own souls. Some of you maybe have been wrestling with doubt. In the middle of the night, staring at the ceiling in bed, you have doubt. Well, this is one of those things that are for you. Let this just proclaim over you. The Bible has been claiming historical truthfulness from the very beginning. But also, every genealogy tells its own story. Not every genealogy leads to Christ. Sometimes people, that's the one thing they want to say about all genealogies, but we just had a genealogy of Cain. We need to remember from where we came that this is a story about a seed, about an offspring. And Eve has hope, and she, her hope is placed in Cain. But that whole line goes astray. But now there's another line. There is hope in another seed. And it traces that seed down, and, and you have a few people, and, and, and it tells us things about men like Enoch who walked with God. And then frustrating to all of us here, it tells us nothing else. The only other reference to Enoch is going to come in Jude. We don't know what it was like to walk with God. We don't know what it was like for Enoch to be a man of faith. But in this time that is blurry in our view of it, God was still working through men of faith, proclaiming, him and walking with him just like Elijah was but there's this problem that comes with the curse people keep dying Enoch what seems to be kind of the one righteous man and we don't know how many others there were but Enoch seems to be a righteous man and God takes him to be with him why but then it comes to Noah, and, and there's this this other little verse about hope. In the same way that we had that little verse about Cain, of begotten a man with the help of the Lord. There's this hope. There's this hope in a seed. A seed will come that will deliver us. That'll crush the head of the snake. But it wasn't Cain. And, but now there's there still seems to be people of faith. Methuselah and Lamech actually both die before the year of the flood. So there's, there's no reason not to think this Lamech, this, it's interesting here that the genealogy kind of stops here on another Lamech. There's Cain's line that leads to Lamech and Noah's line that leads to Lamech and Lamech on Cain's side is celebrating sin. Cain's revenge is sevenfold, mine's 77-fold, celebrating his sin. And here is Lamech, He doesn't have many of God's promises, but he has this one. How many promises of God do we need to be a faithful people? Just one. How much more ought we to be people of faith? We have far more than just this one promise. They had this one promise. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the snake. They're waiting for a deliverer. And so Lamech says, Out of the ground the Lord God is cursed. This is verse 29. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hand. Lamech seems to be a man of faith. He is longing. He is longing in a world that is wretched and is celebrating its sin for one that will deliver. But there's this refrain through the whole thing. And he died. Keep dying. We need one that will conquer death. You know, often when we come to this genealogy, um, as I've said many times, I'm a young earth guy. I think young earth matters. But often what comes to a a text like this is we come to it and we want to go, well, biologically, because of the canopy and DNA degeneration, this is why they're living long. And I love that stuff. I love that stuff. Okay. I don't think that's what Moses wanted the Israelites to be thinking about probably not thinking about biologically why they're living so long. I believe that they had that long life. You know, sometimes people want to stretch the years. They want to get a longer timeline out of this. But another thing that's unique about this genealogy, we need to chain ourselves to what does the text say. And one thing that's unique in this genealogy, it says, when Seth had lived 105 years when Enosh had lived 90 years, when Kenan had lived 70 years. No other genealogy in the Bible does this. All God's words is breathed out by him and profitable for teaching. Even these numbers. What is God giving to his people? through Moses, the Israelites coming up out of, out of Egypt. What is he giving them? He is giving them a timeline. He is giving them the timeline of faithfulness. He is helping them understand the world as it is in the same way that in the creation narrative, it makes it very clear to the Israelites that God isn't like wrestling creation into submission. He creates it by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good and we embrace that and love that. But do we embrace this as much? Or is it hard for us We read about Chinese written history that goes back 10,000 years. The Sumerian kings list goes back 35,000 years. So we're immediately faced with a question. Whose history will we trust? And sadly in the church, many of us, we would, I believe my brothers and sisters that disagree with me on this. I believe that they still love Jesus. I believe they would die at the stake for the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But I feel like in a scientific context, amongst intellectuals we are afraid to be laughed at. This is not paramount. This is not essential. You can be a Christian and disagree with me on the age of the earth. But this is important. And if you put Adam tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of years away, or you mythologize him, I would call you to meditate on this. I would love to sit and talk with you about it. All of God's word, profitable, is true. It is true. It is true. And as Christians, we need to learn not to just handle violence handle being laughed at in a classroom or amongst intellectual? What will you believe? What will be true? God's word, though every man a liar? Or will we kind of, you know, we'll just give up a little bit. We'll compromise a little bit and we'll hold to the Chinese dates or the Egyptian dates which have been proven to be wrong time and time and time again. But would encourage you to To meditate on it. Again, this is not paramount. But it is important. And we need an answer for why do we have these dates? Why? But the text goes on. Get off the soapbox, young earth. The text goes on. It's driving to somewhere. And in the same way that with Lamech, there was an indictment of sin on the earth. Now, now, There's God's view of all of mankind. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, and you think, wonderful. God said, be fruitful and multiply. They're they're being obedient. It's kind of the easiest thing to be obedient with. They're being being fruitful and they're multiplying. But what happens? Verse 2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive... And they took as their wives any they chose. Don't be thinking about the Nephilim yet. We haven't gotten there. No, it's interesting. The indictment begins. There's no police officers yet. There, there aren't really a ton of laws yet. And what does that mean? It means might makes right between man and man. And the men were physically strong. They look at them and they go, I like the way that looks. Do you remember, remember how it got into Lamech with his polygamy? Here it says, they see attractive women and they take any they choose. The language of taking a wife can be used in a positive sense and it will later on. But the Bible never teaches compulsory marriage. Not once in the law is compulsory marriage taught either party in an arranged marriage could cancel it. And if they weren't allowed to in one of those stories, it's describing that, not prescribing that. And God sees this, and his indictment in verse 3, he says, then the Lord says, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. What's going on with this spirit? This isn't the Holy Spirit indwelling and enlivening people. This is the providence of God. God does not just make creation. He sustains it. Every breath we have is a gift. My spirit shall not abide in them forever. When God withdraws his breath from us, we perish. God is the sovereign king over life and death. And he goes... Now, now we've talked so much in these first few chapters of the Bible of God's patience with evil, and we should celebrate that, that God is patient. He is patient with me. He is patient with you. But here we learn God's patience with evil has limits. He will not tolerate our rebellion and sin. He will not tolerate the world's rebellion and sin against Him forever. It has been said by other pastors, it is as though God with one hand is holding back his wrath, and God with one hand is calling on sinners to repent at his return, which Jesus says will be like the days of Noah. Those hands, him holding back his wrath, his offer of salvation, both hands are dropped. God's patience has limits. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were over old, the men of renown. Beloved, this verse has some of the weirdest interpretation if you look at the commentary. Okay? I, let me be very clear. I I don't think this is a super unclear passage. Sons of God can refer to humans. Sons of man can refer to humans. There is nothing here that is getting at angelic beings. Least alone, angelic beings coming and in some way being intimate with humans. That that is beyond the pale. That's, That's not what's going on here. The indictment of Lamech, Um, earlier in Cain's line, the indictment in verse 2 is man and man, and the indictment in 4 is man and man. This is is like C.S. Lewis when he says, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're to think they're not related. It's rhetorical. Both are used to refer to humans. This is not some weird angelic thing. And often what we do here is we create this weird people group of the Nephilim And then we transport it into when the when the Israelites go into Canaan, they go, oh, it's the Nephilim. Well, the Israelites are receiving Genesis already knowing about Nephilim. The Israelites see giants in the land, and as Moses is writing this, he is saying those giants existed then too, mighty men that are doing where might makes right. They do all that they please. And these giants amongst men, men of old, the men of renown, oral tradition certainly comes off of the art. Oral. This is what... You, Christians should expect a lot of creation myths. Why? Because there's oral traditions of a real creation. We should expect other creation myths. Ours is true. We should expect stories of these men of renown these men who lived hundreds of years and in and in ancient thought we we, we turn them into demigods men like hercules and achilles these you know and it it makes sense with world history with what's going on here but the indictment is of humanity don't put it off on angel this was our mess this was our judgment the flood didn't wipe away angels it wipes away mankind The indictment is on man. Man's sin is great and God's patience is limited. And the text goes on. Verse 5. The Lord sees this wickedness of man that it's great on the earth. And I always think of David when I hear this verse. Remember Samuel and Jesse, they think the king will be this big, great guy. And we too, we, we think we're doing well when we're you know, doing well in the exteriors of life. God's gaze drills into our heart. And this is God's indictment. The wickedness of man was great on the earth that every intention, the very intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. Continually. And what is God's response? Does he fly off the handle in rage? Verse 6 The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, of the land, man and animals and creeping things, the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Three times. Because God has regret, God is grieved, and God is sorry. We need to have a good understanding of who God is to make sense of this. Now, beloved, we we understand that God is transcendent. Let Let me do a little systematics just for a minute. God is transcendent. He is other. He is outside of creation. And in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And as theologians talk about God outside of his creation, they will call that the eternal decree, God outside of time, knowing the end from the beginning. But he creates the heavens, the realm of the angels, not just the stars in the sky, and the earth. The spiritual realm and the earthly realm are both created, neither were eternal from the beginning. And the Bible will tell us about God in this sense of the eternal degree, knowing the end from the beginning. But all those visions, those visions of a holy, shining like the sun, burning presence of God amongst the heavenly angels that, that mankind is afraid to approach, even that holy, shining presence is God coming low that His creation might know Him. God's presence in the heavenly realm of the angels or where the, the cherubim don't even look at them, they cover their face and their feet and sing, holy, holy, holy. God even there is Him coming low that we might know Him. And it describes God in heaven. It'll do this throughout the Bible. As we see God there on His throne in the spiritual realm it is not saying that God didn't know the end from the beginning or that he made a mistake. That's not what it's getting at. Beloved, this is this is the most important thing you hear here. That as we see God, yes, he is sovereign over all, outside of time, created everything from nothing, eternally existent. And yet as he comes low to us, even in the spiritual realm in all of his holiness and power, he sits on his throne and he sees our sin. He is grieved that he is sorry. Our God is a feeling God. God does have anger. God is not to be trifled with. God will bring judgment, but his heart, when his heart is exposed, is one that is full of love. And not just when we sin, do we mar God's image, but he is also grieved by it. Do you have that sense? Do you have that sense this week, the, the, the sin you committed this week, do you have a sense that God is looking at you and he's, he's, just, he's just angry? Or do you see that God is who he is in the Bible, for his children particularly? He looks at you and he is grieved. Yes, God loves you just the way you are. Okay, okay but he also loves you not enough not to leave you there. He loves you as you are, but he also loves you enough not to leave you there. He is grieved by our sin. That is our God. And so he sets out to judge. He will blot out all of the world. And this is the image upon which Jesus' second coming will be modeled. Jesus says his second coming will be like the flood. But verse 8 but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now it's indicted. It says every man's intention for the, in the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. It's going to say later that he is righteous, but notice this. Every intention of the thought of man's heart is only evil all the time. All men are indicted in under God's wrath and curse. Noah finds favor in God's eye. Then becomes right. God doesn't look down and go, oh, Noah's really good. I'm going to save him. Beloved, if that's what it taught, you and I would have no hope. This is our hope and judgment. That we find favor in the eyes of the Lord and there is only one mediator between God and man there is only one man through whom we have access to the father and that is the lord jesus christ in the same way that only those who were saved were the sons and daughters of noah those ones that covenantally were tied to him so too are we covenantally tied to christ we will be saved if we have come to christ by faith not because of what we have done but because of our savior Noah is going to fill that role, but God makes it clear. He's not saved because he is good. He is good because he has been saved. And therein is our hope, the grace of our Lord, which is why we sang the song, Change My Heart, O oh God. This favor of God must at some point have changed Noah's heart so that every intention of the thought of his heart wasn't wicked all the time. Therein is our hope, and therein is our prayer. This God is so worthy of worship. His patience and His love and His grace on display. Even though judgment is coming, He is calling sinners to come home. Let's respond, Let's respond by worshiping the Lord. Let's have the worship team come forward as I pray. Father, I pray that we would see Christ in all the Scripture. God, I pray that we would not read works righteousness into Your Word. God, we pray, deliver us. Deliver us. Our sin does not just come from without. Every word that we speak that is sinful reveals that I, that we have sinful hearts God, we need you to take from us our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And only then can you write your good law on our heart and cause us to walk in your ways. Help us to this end. Help us as a church. Help us to praise you for this great gospel of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.